Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's time for a segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he's the managing editor for anchorising.com. It is Justin Katz. Justin, if you don't mind, I'd like to start off our, our discussion. Mark Patinkin of the Providence Journal, who I think actually he's only been the only one locally that's even <laughs> written about it. But um, he wrote a column. And uh, it's interesting also, I think, to see former columnist M. Charles Bax kind of coming out and defending him because the journal certainly has not led the way in any type of coverage. But basically just coming out saying that Brown University has an anti-Semitism problem. And one of the things that just stood out to me about the Patinkin column was he took the time to speak with some students that are not all on board. A lot of the coverage, as I kind of think of it, it's it's all been just these, quote, pro-Palestinian protesters. Patinkin didn't do that. Yeah, well, you make a great point there. I mean, we've we've joked before about, or not even joked, more observed before, where there'd be, say, a conservative rally, and then the reporter would find, like, the, the lone counter-protester who, who had something bad to say about them or, or had a contrary view. That used, That's journalism in that direction. But it's it's been kind of surprising to not see the reporting in that way for for these Hamas protests. And so Patankin is definitely filling in a filling in a gap there that the if the circumstances were different, if the, the politics were different, you'd see more broadly, I think. Uh, but that's the, the if if it were white supremacists and not Hamas, you would be you would be getting these stories without, you know, the uh, a columnist doing it. They'd be part of every news story. You know, do we spoke to some Jewish students at this university where the white supremacists are, are rallying. What do you think about this? And they, they felt scared. That would be the story everywhere. In fact, there'd be, there'd be incidents and we'd be raising questions about whether those incidents were, were, um, were genuine or hoaxes because the incentives would all be to have an incident so that you could get news coverage. Uh, but in this case, because the, the Hamas group, is is more in line with the progressive ideology it flips and so the 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 jews you see video of them hiding in in classrooms on some campuses uh you you've got as potenkin interviewed parents uh, students with parents who are concerned and wondering if they should come home those stories are not as important when when it's a pro-hamas about uh, aggression because though though that's more in line with the progressive the progressive movement at the moment it really is, Justin. And even um, so on Black Friday, you had these protesters, again, blocking uh, entrance of Providence Place Mall, not accomplishing anything and saying shut it down for Palestine. The whole thing, I think, should have been far more skeptical with the press, uh, should have been like, what are you talking about? The, the hostages are starting to be released. And, you know, you're seeing these little nine year old girl come out. It's a hostage. And and that they still just stay in this mantra of these are people that just want peace and that, you know, it's all just for the defense of uh, of the Palestinians. When to me, it's it's clearly not. It's 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 anti-Israel rallies that and marches. That's what they are. Well, they are. But I, th- I think it might even go deeper than that. I mean, it, what all of these protest incidents and tactics look very, very familiar. So, I mean, for the, we also had the. The protesters, I believe, during the Macy's before the Macy's parade, yes. moving themselves to the road uh, yep. for pro-Hamas rally. But the, this is—we've seen this mostly in Europe, but we've seen a lot of it with in environmentalism, where they're they're destroying classic works of art, they're gluing themselves to roads, they're trying—they're blocking uh, traffic everywhere they can. This is this is the leftist tactic, and so it's almost like you could—it's almost like the the Hamas aspect of this is just it just determines when they go back to their warehouse which flags and signs should we grab yeah, i think it's the, the goal is really the, the progressive one to shut it down is the goal not the peace in, in palestine that's right that to me is the the bigger thing and and you know in in that respect i mean they're they're incidentally anti-semitic because they they jews are classed as white in this case but i think the real this is i think we're getting a taste of what life looks like under a progressive regime. It's it's nonstop protests, it's nonstop disruption of your life to help gain them power. That's that's their strategy. That's what they do. They've some of these people are surely paid. A lot of them are just kids who've been duped by years of, of uh, 
indoctrination in schools. Uh, that that's really what it what it comes down to. And the the fact that it's so easy to see the common threads on all these these different protests and the different approaches and strategies, you'd think journalists would be starting to starting to figure it out, you know, starting to say, what's going on here? Who, who are you? Who's this person? What about this, this transgender leader of the pro Hamas rally? That doesn't seem quite right because, you know, Islamic radicals would throw this guy off a building. You know, that that's, those questions are not asked in much the same way uh, the Jewish students in at Brown are not interviewed. Uh, th- those questions are not asked because I think they expose something journalists don't want to expose because it would go contrary to their entire the entire narrative that they learned is journalism. The other narrative, uh, the other thing about the Patinkin column, uh, Justin Katz and folks, again, we're speaking about this. Mark Patinkin of the Providence Journal did a column uh, basically coming right out saying Brown has an anti-Semitism problem. But what I liked was he pointed out it's, it's things that I had been reporting, which was they were talking about the resistance and our martyrs. And, and, and it was, it's been an interesting couple of weeks because I would go up, observe this, report it. I'd even be live on the live stream repeating what I was hearing and seeing. And it's like I was in a vacuum. And, and none of the locals would report that. I, I still maintain, I think the lowest point was that Miguel Sanchez, who was working for McKee, and it was like the local reporters, they were looking for any way to give him an out. And I I just thought it hit rock bottom when he was asked by the Boston Globe, now, did you hear the chants when, as they were chanting from the river to the sea? Well, you and I both know, if you just flip this around and make it, you know, MAGA or Republican or conservative, it wouldn't matter if you heard the chant. If you would just be by being there, you might as well have been leading the chant. I, I think that's the thing that has just stunned me the most is how far they went to try to protect uh, someone that was they kind of saw on their side. Oh, certainly, because I, I think to them, journalism is not telling people the reality of what's going on. I, I saw a great uh, clip of Victor Davis Hanson, who's a California professor who comments on conservative positions quite a bit. And he, he was summarizing all of it. And his, his, his thesis with, the, with respect to the Democrats is they know nobody supports their agenda. Nobody supports open immigration and all this stuff. But so they have to discuss deceive and they have to get people to vote for them and, and work them up to vote for them for other reasons and, and cheat even. And I think that infects journalism at its core. Journalism has been raised up in the past, let's say, 50 years uh, to be essentially the propaganda wing for Democrats and for progressive Democrats especially. And so I think they they don't even recognize as news when things head in the other direction. I mean, you mentioned the, the Boston Globe and Sanchez uh, recently, and I, I forget what the specific was. A conservative group uh, had some kind of a rally, had nothing to do with with um, with left-wing causes. It was, it was something else, or, or MAGA or anything like that. It was something else altogether. It might have been pro-Israel, but I don't remember specifically. But the, the Boston Globe frontlined in their story the fact that one person there had a had a MAGA hat or something like that. If, if in a crowd of millions of people, if they can find that one, that is the story that they they sell for conservative causes. The most extreme defines the cause. Whereas here, oh well, you know, he's he's young. Maybe he didn't hear it. We're going to make excuses for him. He's, he's his heart's in the right place. They truly believe that, and the, the reason they truly believe that, I think, is they they've been trained that this is journalism this is the narrative to be a good person is to support the narrative and i think that's that's what we see with those sorts of things where they let sanchez off and and where they let others off they they let plenty of people off i mean we had uh recently uh, i think she's a former representative on on twitter saying white people you should give up your stuff for black people you know that's something i mean like just straight up racism there's no, no ambiguity that no story now imagine a, a recently retired uh republican representative who happens to be a teacher in rhode island in public schools saying something similar black people blah 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 blah. it would be the end of that person's career <laughs> that person would be done it would be national news uh what's his john oliver would have clips mocking right. him or her that's that's what would happen i mean we saw what would happen with patricia morgan lamenting the loss of a, a minority friend. I mean, that she became a viral sensation in a negative way. That's the difference in treatment here. And it's, it's to serve this, this narrative. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. 
politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food, and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, staying a little bit on that theme, but it's it's actually it's different. And in the past, whenever the um, some of our Washington delegation, if they used to kind of break rank, so to speak, meaning if Congressman Langevin didn't vote with Congressman Cicilline, it would it would always result in an article because it wasn't that common. Here you have Gabe Amo, the new congressman. He breaks from Seth Magaziner, Congressman Magaziner. He votes with the squad about anti-Semitism on the campuses. And uh, unless you can find it somewhere else, I believe to Petro.com, I was the only one that wrote about it. What are we to make of the fact that you would, I, I mean, I think that's newsworthy. He's a brand new congressman. It happened his first week he's, he's in D.C. representing CD1. Gary Sass, even to his credit, uh, backed me up on it. But came out broke from magazine or something like that and it's complete nothing to see here silence from our local media yeah it is curious i mean that that is definitely political news i mean it's his, his first vote i believe he yeah. came in and not only that if, if you and i think this it's really more than anything it's a tell on on how the new journalism sees their role in supporting politicians like amo because if you were looking at it objectively, this is a controversial issue. He he had to kind of walk the line during the, the election, so his first vote on this issue is is a very is is certainly objectively newsworthy. It's to tell us how our representative it, it, behaves, whether he's sure. keeping his promises. That's what journalism is supposed to be. But you know, it's it's when it could hurt him, they don't want to talk about it, and I, I think that's a real problem because we we've got a huge gap. If we cannot know and evaluate our our elected officials because we're not getting a, a clear story of how they behave that that's a, that's a real problem of course amo needs to be aware that his name's going to be at the top of any list because it starts with a uh, so that was a, a conspicuous vote he took but i think uh, anything that trips up trips him up uh, you know it reminds me of when barack obama was elected president and journalists were coming right out and saying you know i feel kind of like it's my job to make sure his presidency is a success because he was he was the yes. first black president and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that that attitude that doing that for Barack Obama, I mean, I think that was wrong, but you could you could make maybe a case it was a special circumstance, the first black president. But doing that for him, I think, gave journalism journalists permission. This is this is how we're allowed to see the world now, how we're allowed to behave. And I think even since a, then it's all been downhill. Even a path, if you will. You know, like this is how you treat uh, almost like a blueprint of here's how the person should be treated. Yeah, the exactly. Fact that they did that for Obama. But just a final note on that. What people don't understand is, to me, if they wanted to, this could have been locally big story where they get you know reaction from magazine or they get reaction from Amo Camp, and then even sending some of the reporters up around the Providence East Side, large Jewish population. Obviously, you know he carried ninety percent of Providence. And maybe even ask, is there some buyer remorse on, on the vote based on this? But I didn't, you know, would have been a little industrious, but I, I didn't see anything, not only nothing close to that, I couldn't find anything about it. Um, it was just the way the vote leaked out. Now, well, um, you know, actually, there's the much, much, it would have been much easier than that. You mentioned earlier that uh, Charles Bax, former Providence yes. uh, column, journal columnist, supported Mark Potenkin's um, article talking about the jews who feel who feel under under siege at brown yeah. bax was a huge amo supporter he was he everywhere was. and so that would be an obvious question to me as a journalist to call up my friend m charles bax and say yeah i see you, you complimented 
Mark's column on this, but at the same time, you're a big AMO supporter, and he just voted for this. How do you reconcile those two? And maybe he has a good answer. I don't know, but it, it seems like a, a very easy thing to ask for a column somewhere, but it, I don't think they even think that way anymore. Now, Justin Katz, as far as the Providence Journal, uh, you and I discussed that, and I still can't believe it ran, but that puff piece, flattering, oh, look at how amazing he is. He put his time in the trenches, and now he's about to be a, the big leader. Pat Crowley. Then we find out after comments in the journal, retirees want union leader off pension study group. Here's why. What do you make of this follow-up story? Well, I think it's interesting. Although, you know, it's it, to some extent, I, I think it's, it's a little bit silly. I mean, it's obvious that a, a union leader is mainly concerned with union members uh, and, and they've, that's not a new line for them. Uh, so, and obviously a union leader has some, some interest in, the pension deals for current members, uh, but at the same time, it shows the the breakdown of this this special interest thing. And I think it's it's a good lesson for people who who s- side with the special interests. If you're if you're under their umbrella, they're with you. If if you're not, then they're not. I mean, it's it's just that simple. And I think I think people get swept up, and the, the, especially the public sector unions, and I found especially the teachers unions, but all of them create this kind of mystique around unions, as if it's a big family, and and we're here supporting your rights. We care about you. They don't. They're just organizations looking for power. In fact, I'd make the case that Crowley and and his w- approach in particular is to to use this leverage to gain political power for other reasons for far left reasons uh, but, but i think it's it's a good it's a good lesson for people to see yeah this guy does not support you as you he's got he's a special interest that's what he does and i think it's it's in that respect it's good to to get that out and for people to see that but on the other hand you know makes you wonder how many more questions like this could be asked if he didn't get the puff pieces right if if it weren't just the pensioners who have who have their own particular interest in this case but all union members saying wait a second this guy's a far left radical i disagree with almost everything he says except the fact that he wants to get me more money that might if if he were covered in that way if if the unions were covered in that way i think a lot of members would have have additional problems and you know in a different world along with these stories about labor unions you'd also be hearing about how now thanks to the supreme court you you cannot be required to be in a union to to have a government job, including teaching. That's almost unknown, I think, among union members, and yet we never hear about it. So I think it's it, it's a, a ray of light, a glimpse of, of the kind of disagreements you could see in unions if they weren't treated with such a, a monolithic uh, sense from the news media, just trying to cover them up and, and keep them as part of their group. Folks, our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the situation of Pawtucket, that this businessman that swooped in uh, trying to save McCoy, and then they want to build uh, the high schools there? It, 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 it sounds like it's still uh, not dead just yet. And then there's some kind of a play where maybe he's saying maybe you could build the high schools and the stadium in the same spot. What, what, what is your take on the situation in Pawtucket? Well, I, I, I kind of thought from the beginning, I was surprised that Grebian and, and the mayor uh, and others took kind of a hard line when, when you've got a billionaire coming in saying, I'm going to give you $40 million for a public works project. They were all kind of like, nope, school's coming. We're done. Uh, and right. see, they seem to have convinced themselves that they're it's serious enough to consider. Um, but my first reaction though, to all of these types of stories is, is do we really think that a mayor of Pawtucket or, or a governor of Rhode Island or, or anybody in state or local government in Rhode Island is really competent to be playing at this level, to be talking, right. to making $40 million deals, to be deciding how do we balance the interests of this rich guy who wants this and and the, the need for a new school. I don't have any confidence in, in any of these people. And so when I see this, my, my first reaction is like, no, just shut it down. <laughs> Knock the place down. Let's move on. Uh, because I, I just don't. I, I just, after decades of experience in Rhode Island, I feel like it's setting, the more they try to do these things, and you know, all, all once the number dollars start start appearing on the paper, all of the special interests come in, the labor unions, all the others as well, trying to get their cut. And I, I think, um, I, 
I, I just suspect you always end out end up worse with these things, worse off, and, and probably best not dabbling in them because this is where a lot of the corruption can happen. And it's it's possible that this uh, Solokov or whatever his name is guy is going to discover that real quick in Rhode Island if he makes any more progress. But so that'll be interesting to watch. You know, you're exactly right. It's too bad because in concept, I like the idea that a successful business person says, "Hey, maybe there's a way that I can get involved and." be a good corporate citizen and, and do something here. But you're exactly right. It's almost like it's above their pay grade and it, they're not used to, it's almost like roads they're not familiar with. It's better if they don't even travel on them uh, because they would just get lost. They're very simple. And, and the whole business of the building of the schools, that's all just, again, all campaign promises to organize labor. These are all no bid contracts. Um, and where everything now just becomes school construction, because notice they're not building any company headquarters. Uh, the main line of work now just becomes all these new police stations, new schools, everything, all these state infrastructure projects where they, they don't have to bid. They just, you know, submit it as a public labor agreement. Folks, yeah, that's... Quick Go ahead, Justin. Uh, that, that's becoming like what I've called the, the government plantation because we have yeah. no – people are leaving the state. Wealth is yeah. leaving the state. I posted on this recently on Anchor Rising. When that happens, the interest – this government starts to use its power to get money to its special interest and find places to take money, debt or whatever, federal government or whatever. That's – and taxes. That's that's what we're headed toward. And I think it's it's a good indication of that. You're, you're right to be worried that that's what's happening here. Folks, quick break. Much more head politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401 323 9252. 323-9252 AJ Drywall Plasters Home Improvement Frame to Finish Basements What a difference it'll make in your basement Acoustic ceilings Look how beautiful your ceiling could be New homes, additions Also commercial rehabs Painting, remodeling Contact them today It's a family run business AJ Drywall Plaster Home Improvements Call for a free quote What a difference they'll make in your home, your ceilings, floors, basements, 401-323-9252. What a difference, beautiful walls and ceilings. 401-323-9252. You can also find them on Facebook. It's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. Our segment is Politics This Week. Justin, how about this headline? Why does Cranston want to buy charter school value to $2.3 million for $12.5 million? <laughs> I think we're, it, it seems journalists have found another, sometimes this happens, they'll find an area of corruption and they'll start investigating it everywhere. But it, it reminded me of Woonsocket with Lisa Bill Deli Hunt, yep. uh, apparently overpaying for a property owned by one of her, her allies in the name of affordable housing. In this case, you've got a charter school uh, run by the laborers' union that um, that is they're selling to the school district, and, and that could be its own controversy. But the it's valued at 2.3 million as a property, and they're they're selling it for many times that. Uh, and I think that's that's basically it's it's almost like a, one of the ways that the corruption just works as a matter of course in Rhode Island. I think you've you've got the the school committee chairman, former mayor uh, Michael Traficanti. Uh, who's also on the board of the school. He's a committee chair, and he's also a six-figure uh, work employee of the New New England Laborers Unions, which is associated with the school. And so it doesn't take much to see the, the corruption here. But I think I think there's a lot of space. I think you could probably, in in I'd hazard a guess, in in half uh, at least half of public works project projects involving the purchase of property you'll find something like this it just I, it's just a hunch but i bet it's it could be a playground for journalists if they wanted it and it, it would go everywhere i remember you know 10 years or so ago there was some controversy over now providence mayor smiley getting paid too much for his house in, in providence uh, near brown that sort of thing it sounds like uh you you just get a it's like it reminds me of um 
certain video games or role-playing games where if you have a, a certain card or something, you, you get an enhanced uh, enhancement of your sale of property or monopoly or something like that. You sell your property for twice what it's worth. That's what politics is becoming. It's one of the ways con uh, corruption works here, I think. Well, with Trafficani, he was negotiating all these contracts uh, with the laborers when he was mayor, and then he leaves being mayor. This was in the 90s at Cranston. And then the next thing you know, as you say, he's got the six-figure job there. I mean, that was a conflict of interest. There's definitely a problem where almost seems like a misguided uh, mission. You had the mayor there exploring maybe buying that park cinema theater or whatever that was being used, you know, as a as a concert venue. And now it, it just seems like misguided of people that maybe of what the role of government should be. Justin, what about this story? What directions? DOT orders more signs for new roundabouts serving Henderson Bridge. DOT is very, very active, but there also seems to be a lot of stop and start on some of their projects. I, um, I just wonder that when these projects are finished, how is it that someone doesn't come away from this and say, boy, that, that seems a little confusing. It's, it seems like it takes the public to have to almost fail at the new you know, new design for them to come back and say, okay, maybe this, this or that needs to be clearer. Yeah. The, the learning curve on something that is, is definitely should definitely be predictable, especially these days with, with GPS. I mean, it used to be, we were all accustomed to driving while looking at signs and right. we, we knew how to figure that out, but now, and then I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not criticizing anybody. You, you just, you look at your GPS. Okay. I'm supposed to do a slight left here. Oh wait, the road changed. There is no slight left. What do I do? And it's a, pa a moment of panic. And I think that is very predictable. Uh, it shouldn't take um, much controversy, much, uh, traffic or much problem with people managing it i mean they, they should be able to manage get manage that from the beginning and you would think from the beginning they would have a plan you know for the for the first two months we're going to have a we're going to have enhanced signage we're going to maybe even we'll put people out there guiding traffic just to make sure that everybody learns how to do it or that you know all the locals learn how to do it um but that that's just not how it operates and i think it goes back to the idea of how you how you put it earlier above their pay grade you know there's there's not a lot of you know we go out we get the money and we give it to people who have government jobs and a lot of that there's a lot of corruption in that there's a lot of favoritism and i you know i don't think we we always get the the best reaction and, and i think that's part of it isn't even their fault i think it's it goes back to basic uh basic political philosophy and why you don't use government for very much stuff if it's a private company they are out there saying what can go wrong because if this doesn't work out we could lose everything Instead, it's government. So they, if it doesn't work out, they can just say, oh, okay, well, we'll order some more signs. We're not paying for it. doesn't matter. I'm not going to lose my job over this. And I think that those incentives are a good lesson we, we can take from the roundabout. The Providence uh, Pre Preservation Society, they held a vigil for three homes on Angel Street that apparently were set to be de uh, demolished. Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe tweeted out, if, local, if a lo some local conservative group is holding a vigil, for any of these causes, the news coverage would be all about how tone deaf the group was for holding a vigil with two wars ranging uh, internationally. What do you make of the Preservation Society holding a vigil for these three homes? Well, I think Dan's wrong. I think that there would be no coverage at all of a conservative <laughs> group holding a vigil. It'd be like, all right, whatever. It's a bunch of MAGA people doing some weird stuff. We're not going to pay attention to that until they were attacked by progressives. And then, then the progressives would be the hero of the story. But, I, you know, it's it's... It, there seems to be, and I don't know if it'll bear fruit, but there seems to be a real, uh, some real fraying of, I guess you'd call it the progressive coalition, uh, where um, these people, lots of them older, lots of them kind of constitutionally conservative, they, they want to preserve anything old. That's kind of, they like the way it looks and they want to keep it that way. And they think government's a way to use it. So that's why they're in the fold of big government. But they're probably all, you could guess, having interacted with such people, they're probably all just standard New England progressive type people. But now that, now that the world's moved even farther to the left, they're, suddenly it's, it's your, your concerns are not, don't rank how how dare you care about three buildings when there are people dying in a progressive coalition elsewhere in the world? And I think that's that may become a wake up call for for some of these people, but I I doubt it's I doubt it's it's going to help them very much because you know it's it's one of those things. The 
the Democrat and the party and the left are so monolithic in Rhode Island and the Northeast that where are you going to go? I mean, not one of these people is going to say we're not get we're not getting the support we want from the Democrats, so we're going to vote Republican. It's just not in the cards. And so, what do you, you can have a vigil, but you know, if if the progressive le- leaders decide you're not that you you don't count as a special interest, then you're not going to keep what you have. And I think that's that's an experience a lot of us have had over years and decades at the at the General Assembly. If you're if you're not in a you can, you can be treated like a special interest, but you've got to give something up. And I, I think these these folks just don't rank anymore. Folks, again, our segment is politics this week. Well, this is Justin Katz. Justin, um, you know, everything with Governor McKee these days is wind energy, uh, green energy. I liked this kind of back and forth. And uh, I'll give credit to John Laughlin was pointing out, you know, offshore wind costs to, you know, to build wind, 1.3 billion natural gas, 300 million why why are we going so strong in the direction of that? I've heard that the people on Block Island, they haven't noticed any difference in their electricity costs since they're they're setting up all these, you know, offshore wind. I, I'm starting to think the whole thing is just a scam to give the, the unions more of these new jobs, but there doesn't seem to be any savings. Oh no, they they never promised savings. I mean, that, that was early, very early on, even with the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, when it was new and Governor Carcieri was still in office. They the the deep water wind was projected to cost more. That was part of the deal. Was we can charge you more for electricity, and and that's that because it doesn't make economic sense. And but but uh, so I think what what's going on with it? Uh, I, frankly, I think it, it's not just unions. It's only almost bigger than than unions. It's it's wealthy people using a cult-like uh, environment on uh, on the environment, a cult-like mentality on the environment uh, in, in green energy to, to make themselves rich. I mean, that's, that's basically what my interpretation of it. I mean, the, 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 perhaps the poster boy for this is, is Jeff Grabowski, who worked for Karcheri during sure. this era where Karcheri approved Deepwater Wind, pushed it through. Then Grabowski becomes a CEO of Deepwater Wind and then sells it to Orsted, a, a European company, that I, you know, I, I've never seen numbers on that, but I bet that made him a good bit of money. And I think that's that's what you see here is there's there's a lot of money to be made if you can just get government to say, you know what, ratepayers, you you don't count, so we're we're going to make you pay three times more for energy, and then we're going to stop creating cheap uh, fracking gas in in the United States, so that you. you you have to pay more and you have no alternatives. We're going to stop pipelines from bringing natural gas to us. So you have no alternatives. You've got spotty infrastructure. And ultimately, this is why you see every every snowstorm where the power goes out, you hear more and more generators because people who can afford them, just like people who can afford private school, use those instead of the public school. People who can afford the generators put them in because they can't trust the utilities anymore because they're governed by this this nonsense. So it's a money grab for the unions, but also for just rich special interests who can who can force the government to or use the government to force everybody to pay more for electricity. Justin, three other quick stories. One is this uh, representative Enrique Sanchez. He puts out on social media. He doesn't celebrate holidays, meaning Thanksgiving, the result of genocide of our indigenous people. Instead, he calls us have a nice break. Well, you know, he, his whole shtick is to be disrespectful. When he first got into General Assembly, he was bragging how he went to he went there in street clothes rather than dressing up respectably in the in the in the assembly. And I think that's it, it's a good you know at this point it's kind of cliche because we've heard this so much from college students. It's it's just now becoming government officials uh, and and others, even probably some corporate folks, but. Uh, it's it's another good lesson, like all the protests, that progressives are not here to bring unity. They're not here to, to make us all get along and solve problems. They're here for division and revolution. That's what it's what it's all about. I mean, look at Ireland. They're right now they're losing their rights of free speech in Ireland because there were protests after a, a migrant or immigrant went on a stabbing spree. I believe shouting Allahu Akbar, and including children. And so the Irish folks are getting fed up with that. And so what is the Irish government doing? They're saying, we're going to restrict your rights for the common good. The Irish are the indigenous people of Ireland for all yeah. intents and purposes. There's, there's no, like, they took it over from dark-skinned people there. But the, the line is the same. And that's that's really what it is. It's really, it's just about revolution and, and pressure and making life 
political at every level so that these folks can take power. And, you know, the, the disrespect they show for their neighbors and people who don't completely agree with them gives real reason to con- for concern that when they can, and we go back to Aranglin, uh, the one who wanted white people to give up their seats for, for dark people, um, I when they can, they'll take your property. I, I, I have no doubt about that. And I think we yep. should, these are early indications from people like Sanchez that that's what they're going to do. Uh, finally, a USC professor told protesters, Hamas are murderers. They, uh, that's all they are. Everyone should be killed. I hope they're all killed. He was suspended and barred from campus. Yeah, the, I, I'm hoping, particularly with the division among progressives and, and in the Democrat Party, some of these tricks are going to start to be learned. I mean, they, a lot of what happened was they, he expressed his opinion, which he ought to be able to do on a college campus. That's yeah, supposed to be the whole point. The yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, uh, you know, in, in when you're walking by a crowd of people, you don't always articulate everything in a perfect sentence. And so they, they film it. They were aware they were creating a viral moment. They asked him to repeat it for the camera. Uh, and then they, a lot of the versions that went around, uh, made it sound like he was hoping all of all Palestinians would be killed and not just Hamas as murderers. But I think the the larger thing people need to understand is that again, this is the world that progressives want on every issue. They are these the protesters are objectively pro Hamas because he was clearly saying Hamas are murderers, Hamas should be killed. I mean that was clearly what he was saying. Uh, and that's but they they don't want that. They want the to distort distort what people say to make hay of it for their own political power. And that's that's come into a neighborhood near you, as, as the saying used to go. Folks, again, our segment politics this week, he is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Job, uh, Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. When it comes to insurance, you need a neighbor, a partner, and friend. You need Shoppa Insurance Agency. They're located right on Reservoir Avenue in Cranston. Call today, free consultation, 401-900-INSU, 401-900-4678, Shoppa Insurance, SIA. Stephen, very experienced, whether it's auto, home, renters, business insurance, flood, recreational, umbrella, any other protection for your assets, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your agency of choice. Call today, set up a meeting. They're so knowledgeable, can have everything under one roof. Call Shoppa Insurance today, 401-900-INSU or 401-900-4678. Look for them on Facebook, again, located Reservoir Avenue in Cranston, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your neighbor, your partner, your friend, one-stop insurance solutions. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, <clears throat> there's been an arrest now with this individual involved with the shooting, Brown student, two others in Vermont. So apparently, over the course of the weekend, this individual just went up to these three different people. Now, granted, they're Palestinians, but, I mean, they're in Vermont, and I believe Channel 12 has the latest on this. The suspect in the shooting of three men of Palestinian descent. Student from Brown among the victims, 12 News reporter Jake Holter, live in Providence right now with the latest on this investigation. Patrick and Kate, police in Burlington have identified the suspect as 48-year-old Jason Eaton. Now, authorities have reportedly collected evidence from his apartment, and he's expected to be arraigned in court later today. Now, in the meantime, Brown University has confirmed to 12 News that one of its students is among the victims of this shooting. Brown identifying the student as Hisham Awartani, a junior at the school. He was shot Saturday night in Burlington near the University of Vermont campus. Burlington police say the group was walking down the street when a white man approached them, firing off four rounds. Police say the suspect then fled the scene. Officials say two of the victims were wearing kafias at the time of the shooting, so police are investigating whether the students were targeted because of their Arab heritage. Awartani's uncle speaking out. 
the truth of the matter is these are three Arab looking young men wearing kafiyas, which are sort of traditional Palestinian scarves, speaking Arabic, walking down the street. It, it it's uh it it's it's certainly a strong possibility and we shudder at the thought that this might be a hate crime. Now, the university president says while the student remains hospitalized, he is expected to survive. A vigil was held in Burlington last night for the shooting victims. And tonight, a vigil for peace and healing will take place here at Brown University to try to bring the community together. That is scheduled for 4.30 tonight. For now, live in Providence, Jake Holter, 12 News. You know, it sure sounds like it is, uh, without question. Over the course of the weekend, Mark Patinkin wrote, a piece about the anti-Semitism problem in Providence. Someone finally is talking about it. But then you also have this story. It's in the LA Times. A Jewish professor at USC confronted pro-Palestinian students. He's now barred from campus. So until recently, USC professor John Strauss, known mostly for his research on the economics of developing countries, field work in Indonesia and China, so he's a Jewish professor, and that changed November 9th. He stopped before students staging a walkout and a protest calling for a ceasefire at the Gaza Strip. And uh, so this guy is walking past them. And he goes into his class, and then when he comes out, this is interesting. He's talking about Hamas. And he said, I, I, listen, the... the I, I hope they're all killed. So these students go up and instead they they post that he's claiming that he wants all Palestinians killed. Where on the tape that's that's not what he said. He was the the students one of them yelled shame on you to him prior to this. And he responded like, Well, shame on you. But instead you know, he's under fire and they collected signatures demanding that he be that he be fired. They had 9000 um, signing. You know, now they're all doing petitions about this. And what it really comes to, though, is these students purposely misled and misrepresented what this man, he's a professor, what his comments were. And then you also realize how quickly it can rocket. So when they posted it, oh, wow, look at that. He's saying all Palestinians should be killed. That, you know, and you can imagine then there's a, a, a reaction, a very volatile reaction, as a matter of fact. Where then they, they start uh, going after the guy. But that, that was by, deni uh, by design. And there's one USC student, and she's a female, only wants to go by her first name. Um, and then she says, say it again for the camera. Now, again, the man was talking to them, to the students, and said, I, I, I just think Hamas should be destroyed. And every single one of them are terrorists, and they, they should be killed. So he stops, he's talking to them, he's a professor leaving his class and says, you people are ignorant. And, you know, as they start to engage him, he says, Hamas are murderers, that's all they are. Everyone should be killed, I hope they are all killed. But instead, the student records the, everyone should be killed, I hope they're all killed, and then post it online look what this man is saying about all palestinians now that's not what he was saying about palestinians but they don't care they don't care what they do to him they don't care what they do to his his life and then suddenly the university says well we we would appreciate if you if you don't you know come to the campus so this individual i don't even know why they they're just identifying her by one name not both names um he's claiming that they were that they were doctored they were edited and it certainly seems to be edited or clipped in a deceptive manner 
So, but it's, it's more of leaving by something, leaving it out and just trimming it to a few seconds of him saying everyone should be killed. That's, that's the, the part about it that puts this in a different atmosphere is it, it was purposely done to be misleading. It was purposely done to put out that every one of them should be killed when in essence he was was talking about the terrorists the members of hamas so and then first this group clarified he did not say one palestinians be killed but hamas then they walked it back <laughs> with this hateful rhetoric you can draw your own conclusion about whether or not he wished death just upon hamas or civilians as well so as a result of that see but they don't care they don't care what's accurate they don't care what they do to this guy's life it's not about that um in hindsight this man who's a professor at on a college campus would have been better off not engaging them not saying anything and just going about his day and then they make an example out of someone like that because that's really what their design is to make an example and intimidate people folks you're listening to the john DePietro show this portion of the program is brought to you by the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln pop in and see them whether it's for lunch nice weather you can sit outside on the deck or maybe sit in the dining room delicious food then they also have a great full bar large dining area and you're going to love the lounge the lodge pub and eatery people rave about their delicious consistent great food and also the great staff i'll see you at the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln you're listening to the john DePietro show well folks the countdown is on iowa caucus coming 50 days on this week with george stephanopoulos john carl filling in they did a complete breakdown on where things stand far fewer political events than his rivals but his incendiary and dangerous rhetoric has shown the kind of general election campaign he will run and the values he would bring back to the white house Trump has vowed to use the Justice Department to go after his enemies. He has suggested that former Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley should face the death penalty. And he has said federal prosecutor Jack Smith will end up in a, quote, mental institution by the end of his presidency. And at 2.03 a.m. on Thanksgiving, he issued a long screed on social media calling a New York judge a psycho and personally attacking a court employee by name who had already received hundreds of threats, many of them anti-Semitic, in the wake of previous Trump statements. At this moment, though, Donald Trump leads in the polls and is the overwhelming favorite to win the nomination. But there are some signs that could change. ABC News has learned that Americans for Prosperity, a group backed by billionaire conservative activist Charles Koch, plans to endorse one of Trump's rivals in the coming weeks and is prepared to spend heavily to try to bring Trump down. Our political director, Rick Klein, is here to break down the state of the race. Yeah, yeah, John, we are now just 50 days away from the Iowa caucuses in the New Hampshire primary, just eight days after that. And as you mentioned, Donald Trump is far and away the front runner right now. But we have reviewed at ABC News some of Americans for Prosperity's internal research. They're polling, they're door knocking data. And their view of the race is that most people don't think it's even begun. In fact, about 40 percent of Republicans in Iowa and New Hampshire say the race hasn't even started yet. And their research suggests that as many as 75 percent of Republicans might be open, just might be open to a Trump alternative if they think that that person can win. And their view, they say that there's a lot of money that can be spent on a ground game on organization. The last time that they, that they had any kind of public report on this, John, they had $70 million in the bank to put toward an effort to try to defeat Donald Trump. And in part, what they're looking at is the public polling on this, because we are seeing a much different primary play out nationally than in some of the early voting states. In the national polling average at 538, Donald Trump's been leading wire to wire and big. Right now, he's up 45 points plus on his closest rivals. That is not a close race. It isn't 
It isn't the same, though, as in the early states. In Iowa and New Hampshire, we're talking about 27, 28-point leads. Critically, Donald Trump's winning by a lot, but he's under 50% in both of those early voting states, and that gives Trump's rivals a lot of hope, that maybe even expectation, that once people start to engage, there's a chance of changing those numbers and maybe someone breaks through in one of those states. All right, Rick, but he still has a big lead in Iowa and New Hampshire, just not as big as he does nationally. But as we know, Iowa and New Hampshire love to deliver surprises. Yeah. I want you to notice that they're, they're trying to create this narrative that almost like anything can happen, and it's, it's wide open. It, it's not wide open. It's not wide open. He's ahead by a very large margin. I don't I don't see that changing. I don't think there's anything that could make it change. I think his supporters are with him. I think the base is with him. I I I know that the media would like a more competitive Republican primary. I don't I I we've been looking for how long now for evidence. And now that now the new line is now that it's getting closer, people are paying attention. I think people have been paying attention. I think that's why his numbers, meaning President Trump, continue to go up. I, I do not see anything coming that could change the down. I don't see it. Let's, let's let this play out. And some history here is really instructive, John, because back in 2012, the last time that Republicans had, a, had an open primary race or, uh, uh, to go up against an incumbent president, at this point in the election cycle, this is what we saw. Newt Gingrich leading the field. Rick Santorum, who went on to win the Iowa caucuses, was way down at 4%. He leapfrogs everybody just in those last 50 days. Similarly, in 2016, Ted Cruz, the eventual winner, had to overcome both Ben Carson and Donald Trump at 12% at this point of the polling he ends up being the surprise winner now in new hampshire we all remember what happened with john mccain and his late surges at this point in the cycle in new hampshire according to our polling the, the race was basically tied in new hampshire between george w bush and john mccain of course mccain ended up winning big uh, in, in in that upset and then in 2008 maybe an even more interesting example because mccain won the primary that year by winning new hampshire but at this point in the cycle he was in third place again he had to have that late surge that late upset so look John, there's never been a, a, a candidate who's had this big a lead nationally or in early states who didn't go on to win the nomination. But there are lots of signs and now lots of money to suggest that this race could still be interesting. I don't think so. Um, what those other races didn't have was someone that's just seen as the incumbent, as the incumbent president. That's how he is viewed. That's how he is viewed. And, you know, what they were mentioning in 08, well, Romney was leading the New Hampshire primary, but Mitt Romney had a summer home in New Hampshire, and let alone then he had been the governor of Massachusetts. So we had a, a huge advantage, and then McCain still came on. But th those were both examples that they're giving of an open seat. This, this is not an open seat. President Trump is in a better position with his party than President Biden is with his party. So... Again, I'm going to repeat what I said. I, I know the media would, and it would be more fun if it was a competitive race. Um, I, I don't, I, not only do I not see it, I think it, as it gets closer, he will also have a chance to close it out in Iowa. And he starts doing some rallies in New Hampshire. I think he starts building more momentum in those two states because he has been preoccupied, as you can imagine, with his legal situation in the different cases. But as much as everyone wants there to be a race, and I, I, I'm looking for some evidence that it's going to be competitive. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Check out DePietro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, all our links to social media, exclusive stories and videos waiting for you at DePietro.com.